0: One. In Proverbs chapter twelve, verse twenty, Solomon writes, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. The contrast that Solomon is making for us in this verse is between the deceit, which lies in the heart of those who devise evil, and the joy, which comes from counselors of peace. In the context of the previous Proverbs Solomon's already given us, we have to understand that Solomon's continuing to emphasize the importance of being selective in terms of what and to whom we listen. Solomon told us back in verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. In this verse, verse 20, Solomon is directing us toward wise decisions, which is based on the counsel we pay attention to. In other words, if you're listening to people who devise or promote evil, you can expect them to be deceitful to the core. Sooner or later, there's a good chance that their deceit will be used against you as well. On the other hand, listening to someone who is a counselor of peace doesn't create this potential problem. Of course, the ultimate counselor of peace is none other than Jesus Christ, who came to bring peace between humanity and God for those who would trust in him alone for their salvation. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read, having been justified by faith, we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ see those who come to him are filled with the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control with these qualities infused into us supernaturally we too are to become counselors of peace paul wrote therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's from Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Those are truly the words and the attitude of a counselor who comes to bring peace between God and humanity. In our next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 21, Solomon writes, No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Now, if we're looking at things from a short-term perspective, the first half of this proverb is going to raise a lot of questions. If you ever hear someone tell you that they're a follower of Jesus and therefore they cannot be harmed, you can be sure that they're wrong. One of the worst and most misleading things that we can tell people when we're talking with them about Jesus is telling them that life is better with Jesus. Now, that depends, I guess, on what you mean by better, but the average person is going to interpret that as meaning a life without hardships. The Christian life, the Bible teaches, however, is filled with hardships. Consider what Paul went through. He wrote, quote, I have been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He knew that those who followed after him would have similar experiences, which is why he told his own disciple, Timothy, to, quote, Be sober in all things, endure hardship do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's from 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. However, if by better we mean that there's nothing that will prevent the believer from being conformed to the image of Jesus, then yes, life is better in that sense. God will use our hardships in life to make us more and more like his son. So from a long-term perspective, indeed, no harm will befall the righteous. Our eternal destiny is securely in his hands, and there is nothing and nobody who can pluck us from his hand. Nothing can come against us which God Himself does not specifically allow. Now contrast all that with the wicked, whom Solomon tells us are filled with trouble. From a short term perspective, this doesn't always or even often seem to be the case. They seem to prosper and constantly have the upper hand. They seem to be the ones who get promotions and special privileges. And yet Yet, from a long-term perspective, they're doomed. They're headed for an eternity filled with trouble, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and they're headed down that road with a smile on their face. So the lesson here is to keep a long-term perspective on things. Rest well, knowing that God has everything under control. In the next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 22, Solomon writes, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. Now, the typical person thinks that lying isn't a big deal, if we're being honest here, so long as nobody gets hurt. In the movie Forrest Gump, for example, Forrest narrates a part of the story by saying, mama said it was just a little white lie, so it wasn't hurting nobody. Well, the idea here is that a white lie, that is a lie that doesn't seem to hurt or affect anybody personally, is acceptable, is clearly itself a lie. Nothing could be further from the truth. One might think that nobody is being hurt or offended by a white lie, but Solomon reveals in this proverb that God is greatly offended by any type of lying. Why? Because it's contrary to his own nature. God is truth, and Titus chapter 1 verse 2 and Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 tells us that it's impossible for God to lie. And so therefore, even a little white lie, which doesn't seem to hurt anybody, is totally contrary to God's perfect and righteous nature. On the other hand, those who speak the truth and must deal faithfully are a delight to God. This doesn't mean that you're allowed to speak the truth without being tactful, mind you. The Holy Spirit tells us through Paul's pen that all followers of Jesus are supposed to be, quote, speaking the truth in love. We're supposed to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. In other words, speaking the truth tactfully in love is the mark of a mature believer. Lying lips profit nothing. But there's a third option, which Solomon reveals in the next verse, Proverbs 12, verse 23. He writes, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Solomon tells us that sometimes it's best to simply remain silent, rather than speaking the truth, and rather than lying. For example, when Jesus was being tried, he was falsely accused of a lot of things that he didn't do. He could have spoken the truth, but it was a demonstration of wisdom for him to remain silent, knowing that it was his word against their word and that he was, at least for the moment, outnumbered by people who were well-respected. Solomon contrasts this prudence with the fool who simply blurts out whatever the situation calls for without considering the consequences." As we've seen so many times in the study of the Proverbs, that which fills the heart overflows through the mouth, which explains what Solomon means when he says that the heart of fools proclaims folly. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, Solomon writes, "...the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor." Now back in chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, Solomon emphasized the theme of labor and the fruits of one's labor, and he's going to end this chapter by coming back to that theme, creating what you might liken to bookends. It's a way of drawing his current thoughts to a close. The principle that Solomon wants us to catch here is that the reward of laziness, the payoff for laziness is servanthood. The person who's a good steward with their resources and talents will be diligent, and thus will have servants. On the other hand, the person who's lazy will be one of those servants working for someone who's diligent. With that said, try to catch yourself when you're giving less than your all, and remind yourself of what Solomon's saying here. There are positive consequences for being a diligent person, and less than desirable consequences, for giving less than your all. While it's not always fun to be diligent, I understand that there are things that you'd often rather be doing. Try to keep a long term perspective on this and do what needs to be done to the best of your ability. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25, Solomon writes, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is wrong for a lot of reasons. The reality is that there's power in a person's words to either harm or heal. That's why Solomon told us Back in verse 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here in verse 25, we see that principle being played out. See, there are all kinds of things that cause anxiety in people. People get stressed out over a wide range of issues. The result is often a compounding effect where a person is stressed out and that causes them to lose sleep, which in turn causes them to be more likely to feel stressed out, which causes them to lose more sleep and so on and so forth. It's a vicious cycle, but there's often a way to break it. The power of encouragement. No matter how independent people might think they are, there's no disguising the fact that people love to be encouraged. It brings relief to them just to know that somebody, somebody believes in them and cares enough for them to offer good words as a way of lifting up someone who's weighed down with stress and anxiety. Did you know that over 10% of Americans are on anti-anxiety medications? Let's work together to get that number lower by making a conscious effort to be quick to offer words of encouragement and support to others. It can often be as simple as asking someone if you can just pray for them. Now, this verse is closely connected to the next verse where Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, the righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Jesus once said, It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. That's from Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. The people to whom this statement was directed, the Pharisees, were outraged at the implications of what Jesus had just said. These Pharisees, you see, considered themselves to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. And Jesus had just dropped their egos down a few notches by putting them in their place. The fact is that the Pharisees were spiritual leaders of sorts, but not in a positive sense. Rather, they were spiritually leading Israel in unfaithfulness. Recognizing this, when Jesus' disciples rushed to his side after he'd spoken those words to warn him that he had offended them greatly, Jesus responded by saying, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. That's Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. So this is the principle that Solomon is making for us right here in the second half of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The wicked only know the path of wickedness and thus they only know how to lead others toward wickedness. This is contrasted, on the other hand, with the righteous, who also has the potential to be a guide, but in this case, they guide others to righteousness rather than wickedness. See, if you're encouraging someone by asking them if you can pray for them or doing what you can to offer a good word as a means of cheering them up, they'll notice sooner or later that there's something different about you, that there's a joy and a peace that defies human reason and understanding. Jesus told his followers, you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 so the idea here is that the world is in darkness but by shining our light we can be a guide toward righteousness for those around us in the next verse Proverbs chapter 12 verse 27 Solomon writes a lazy man does not roast his prey but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Here's that theme again the importance and the value of diligence and hard work. You'll recall that Solomon told us back in verses 9 and 11 that a lazy person does not have an abundance of bread or food. But here he draws a picture for us of a lazy person who goes out and spends their time hunting. They obviously come home with food, but maybe they were thinking about other things that they'd rather be doing as they carry their prey home. And so the lazy person doesn't take the time to cook what he caught and thus ends up with nothing to eat. So by the time they get around to cooking it, their meat has either been spoiled or it's been stolen by somebody else who is hungry. The diligent person, on the other hand, knows that they need to prioritize and thus they don't wait to prepare a meal for themselves. Other things can wait. They're not going anywhere. And so that's the greatest and the most valuable possession of that person is their diligence, the ability to prioritize and act wholeheartedly in accordance with those priorities. This doesn't just apply to food, obviously. Instead, it carries over into every area of a person's life. So with that said, learn to consistently and properly, properly prioritize and put your priorities to practice. This concludes lesson two. Lesson three. In Proverbs chapter 12 verse 28, Solomon writes, In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Now reading this verse in context, we should note that Solomon's use of the word way very likely could refer back to what he had written just a couple verses ago about the righteous being a guide To their neighbors. This is a case of Solomon summarizing what he has very vividly already shown us in the chapters leading up to this point. How can it be, though, that there's no death for the righteous? Well, let's talk about that. We have to understand that there are two types of death. First, there's physical death, the type of death that occurs when one's heart and brain stop having any type of activity in them. God had warned Adam and Eve that they would die on the day that they ate from the tree of good and evil knowledge, and they thought that he had meant physical death. Instead, God was referring to a second, more serious type of death. Spiritual death. This is what happens when sin breaks the connection between a person and God. When a baby's in the mother's stomach, it relies on the umbilical cord for its life and sustenance. If the umbilical cord is broken or cut before the baby's delivered, the baby will die unless a doctor operates immediately. And so it's sin that breaks off our spiritual umbilical cord before we're birthed into eternity. God gave a remedy to this problem by sending his son Jesus, and it's through faith in him that we're reconnected to God and receive spiritual life. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment judgment, but is passed out of death into life. That's from John chapter 5, verse 24. So once you have spiritual life given to you through faith in Jesus, there is no spiritual death in your pathway. That's the point that Solomon's trying to make here. In our next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1, Solomon writes, A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Our 13th chapter of Proverbs starts off with a reminder that Solomon has regularly come back to the importance, and the wisdom that one can get from their parents. Nobody likes to be disciplined. I know that my kids don't like it any more than I did when my parents disciplined me, and my parents probably didn't like it any more than when their parents disciplined them. The fact is, though, that discipline is one of the best ways for parents to show love to their kids. When my kids complain about my discipline, I remind them of the fact that if I didn't care about them, I'd allow them to do whatever they want. I discipline them because I want what's best for them. God does the same thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that God disciplines every son he receives. He doesn't scold the neighbor's kids, but he'll discipline us as his children to make us more like his son. The wise person will accept the discipline of the father, knowing that the discipline is an outworking of the father's love for them, and that the discipline stems ultimately from the fact that their father loves them and wants what's best for them. On the other hand, Solomon tells us that a scoffer doesn't listen when they're rebuked. Now, we should notice when we read this that the person who doesn't listen isn't referred to as a son, however. Instead, they're simply referred to as a scoffer. While the responsibility to teach is certainly on the parent, the responsibility for learning is ultimately up to the individual. If the individual is wise, they listen and they learn. If they're not wise, they scoff. They get irritated instead of motivated. So let me ask you this. What do you do when you're corrected by people who love you? In the next verses, Proverbs chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, Solomon writes, "...from the fruit of a man's mouth he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin." This is a theme that Solomon has carried over from the previous chapter, the idea that there are often consequences to our words. The word that gets translated as enjoys here can actually also be translated as eats, which gives us the idea that if the fruit of your mouth is good, you will eat that which is good. If what you say is sweet, you will eat that which is sweet. But if you speak that which is bitter, you will surely eat that which is bitter. Consider the bitter words that Lady Astor was forced to eat when she said to Winston Churchill one time, If you were my husband, I should put arsenic in your tea. And he responded by saying, Madam, if I were your husband, I should drink it. So no doubt about it, she ate the same bitter fruit that came from her own mouth. So with that established... The principle that Solomon wants us to remember here is to guard our mouths, guard what comes out of our mouths, because by doing so, we'll preserve our own lives and enjoy our lives if we're feasting on that which is good. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4, Solomon writes, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. My wife has told me stories about how when she was younger, if she would ever say to her grandpa that she wanted something, his response would be something like, well, want in one hand and spit in the other and see which one weighs more. The fact is that there's really nothing wrong with wanting or craving things most of the time. But if we don't act on what we need, if we don't act on our cravings, what do we end up with? For the person who wants to be loved and yet doesn't want to go out and interact with other people, it's just not going to happen. Solomon tells us that the The soul of the lazy person is craving. You see, God created us, all of us, with all kinds of desires and cravings, deep and big cravings that only he can meet and provide for. But the person who feels this craving for God's presence and yet doesn't reach out to him through faith in Jesus will never have that craving satisfied. Solomon tells us that they'll get nothing. On the other hand, the soul of the person who craves the presence of God and acts upon those cravings will have more than enough of God's presence to satisfy their cravings. Solomon likens it to getting fat because, well, let's be honest, that's what happens when your stomach craves food and you get more than enough on a consistent basis. God wants to give us more than enough of himself on a consistent basis. And he created us to crave his presence. So for the person who is feeling spiritually malnourished, it's only because they're not taking advantage of the abundant blessings that God has provided for us. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 5, Solomon writes, A righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. You know, I think Solomon would have really liked Abraham Lincoln. Everyone knows Abraham Lincoln is one of the most famous United States presidents in American history, but he's much more than a face on a penny. In fact, maybe it's fitting that his image appears on a penny, because there was a reason that he was known as Honest Abe. There was one time in his life when he worked for someone else in a general store, and there was a time when he was working there when he was overpaid by four cents, and he ended up walking several miles just to refund the pennies to the man. Even though he had less than a full year of formal education, Abraham Lincoln read everything he could get his hands on, from Aesop's fables to the Bible. In fact, he so thoroughly educated himself that he was able to pass the state bar exam and practice law, where he was known for being so honest that he'd actually remind the opposing counsel if they happened to neglect strong points against his own side in the case. Abraham Lincoln was a righteous man who loved the Lord and hated falsehood, even when Even when that falsehood would be to his own personal benefit. And this is contrasted with a wicked man. The wicked man prefers falsehood over truth. And their preference results in what Solomon refers to here as disgusting and shameful behavior. Now, notice that this verse doesn't say that those who act disgustingly and shamefully are wicked. Rather, it's the other way around. The wicked act disgustingly and shamefully. The implication here is that wickedness leads to those qualities and that those qualities are demonstrated in people wherever they go. In the next verse, Proverbs 13, verse 6, Solomon writes, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. You know, we've probably all seen cases of people who are falsely accused of something. I recently read a story about a man who reportedly beat his daughter so badly that he knocked at least one tooth out of her mouth. He was consequently brought up on charges of child abuse. Upon further examination, however, doctors discovered that the man's daughter had a previously undiagnosed medical condition which had caused her tooth to fall out, and of course, the man was acquitted. Now, while I don't know if this man was a follower of Jesus or not, the principle that we see in his case, is one which we should see in the life of every person who follows Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness, and it's that righteousness which directs our steps. It keeps our lives on track and leads us as our guide on the path of righteousness. It's like walls which are to either side of this path that we're walking on, walls which we are indeed capable of climbing over, but only at the cost of seriously hurting ourselves. Sooner or later, we learn to walk within those walls, and we resist any temptation to escape them. If your way is blameless, righteousness will stay with you and guard your ways even If you fall into the hands of sinners. On the other hand, Solomon reminds us that the sinner will be destroyed by their own wickedness, which is, of course, a theme that Solomon has come back to time and time again throughout Proverbs. Sometimes that's in the short term. Sometimes it's in the long term, but it's bound to happen sooner or later. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcasts.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts